Welcome to the Friends of Zane Adams, aka Faza Podcast, bringing awareness of postpartum depression, suicides, and the children who are left behind. We'll be spotlighting positive outcomes from mothers as well as healthcare experts and counselors. Would you know the signs of PPD? Would you know how to help a loved one? Stay tuned. As a community, we can do more to support maternal mental wellness. Greetings, Faza fans. This is Paula Smith, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Faza Podcast for Maternal Mental Wellness. And as always, we welcome our moms and birthing people, our medical care providers, our doulas, therapists, counselors, and all advocates of maternal mental health. We welcome you and we thank you for every effort you make, large or small, to bring awareness to stop the stigma, the silence, the suicide, and the suffering that often accompanies postpartum depression and to support the children who are left behind. Please remember, if you or anyone you know is experiencing thoughts of suicide, the National Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline is easier to reach now by dialing 988. And the National Maternal Mental Health Hotline is 833-943-5746. If you find it challenging to get maternal mental health resources in your community, I want to invite you to visit our website, fazainc.org, and click on Resources. There you'll see the Faza Finder button right at the top of the page. Just provide your zip code. There's no personal details needed. And we'll help you find resources in your local area. And that leads us into today's podcast because we have a guest who's an expert in helping moms learn how to identify the best resources for their journey through the pregnancy, perinatal, and postpartum period. We're honored and grateful to have with us Dr. Alan Lindeman, MD. He's an obstetrician and a maternal mortality expert who in his nearly 40 years of experience and practice has delivered more than 6,000 babies. I'm gonna repeat that, 6,000 babies. He's known as Rural Doc Allen. And we're gonna touch on resources that moms and birthing people should be aware of, some of the questions they should be asking their professional caregivers. And as promised, we're gonna talk about how journaling or diary writing can help mothers get better prenatal and postpartum care. So let's get started by welcoming to the Faza Podcast, Dr. Alan Lindeman. Greetings, Dr. Alan. Thank you so much, Paulette. I appreciate your invitation today to your podcast. And we appreciate you coming in. We appreciate your expertise and all your years of experience. We're going to jump right in because we get a lot of questions from moms. Uh, we are in several groups of uh, thousands of prenatal or postpartum moms, and of course they have lots of questions about everything, but a large amount of them have to do with fear and the feeling of lack of confidence with their newborn, and just in general in life now that they've become uh, moms. and. You've written about the fear of change, and you've spoken about it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? 
Well, change and fear of change, you can either endorse change or you can be afraid of it. And a little bit of it depends on your personality style, but the main thing that I always try to do to address that, in other words, to get my mom, dads, and kids to endorse the change of the pregnancy was to invite them to the prenatal course so I could see how they interacted. And if I saw something that looked like trouble, to try to avoid it. But for the most part, if the family came together, they all endorsed the pregnancy so that they would see change as something good instead of something bad. And, you know, one of the things that I always did, I had a lot of social economically deprived patients. I had a lot of uh, Medicaid patients. So they were high risk for problems at home. But I would give them, say, for example, they were offered eight visits by Medicaid. I would give them 12 or 15, however many they needed, so that we could establish a good relationship and so that they knew if they had trouble, they could call me anytime for any reason. And I think that's very important. That's one thing that's lacking today is access to an obstetrician. And that's probably got a little bit to do with insurance and a little bit to do with you know, the individual clinics. Anyway, I interrupted you, so my apologies. No, no, you didn't interrupt me at all. What you're saying is so important, and it's what we hear echoing over and over uh, with moms. So as moms and the other audience uh, members listen to this podcast, they're going to understand exactly what it is you're saying and how the fear of change and the way family members even just everyone who touches that mom or touches that birthing person can stop and think a little bit more, uh, recognize a little bit more that, as you said, uh, in some of your writings, change is inevitable. But putting everyone together with everything that has to go into that change, eating, sleeping, (laughs) you get so basic with dishwashing and food preparation that that's all can be helpful to the mom. Well, you're exactly right. You know, and years ago, before insurances got a hold of us, and when I was a resident, which was now almost 50 years ago, we could make rounds in the mornings, and the nurses would say, this patient is ready to go home, this one isn't, this one, the milk isn't in yet, this baby isn't latching on, and we could keep them another day. And in those days, it was three days anyway, but we could keep them four or five days until they were ready to go home. Today, it's one day, and we don't have the slightest idea whether those moms and dads and families are ready to go home or not. And when I look at Twitter and Reddit, most of the problems that our young mothers are having and the young dads, they shouldn't be having at all because they should be getting that information, how to deal with these things while they're in the hospital and before they go home. And I'm glad that you're there and you understand and that you're providing this information so that they don't feel as if something is wrong with them or they don't feel as if they're inadequate. Because another big area of concern we get from our moms is the feeling of not being understood. We have this huge kind of a blanket of information going out that, of course, this should be the happiest, best most beautiful time of your life, and women are super beings, So, and they've been doing this for thousands of years, so just do it, sort of with the Nike kind of <laughs> kind of thing. And they're, they get a little bit confused, and unfortunately, they can get depressed 
when it doesn't happen just like that. You're absolutely right. You know, one of the things I always tried to do was to look for signs of depression. In other words, one of the things was, uh, how do the parents treat each other? Do they treat each other with dignity and respect? Are they supportive? Do they treat the children with dignity and respect? And you're right about when you go home. There's a whole lot of concerns about, well, you know, who should do the dishes? Who should wash the um, breast pump? Uh, who should get up with the baby at night? Uh, can I bottle feed my baby? Can I give them, you know, can I pump and put breast milk in the bottle? Lots of those questions. And again, those are reasonable questions, but they should be under, those questions should be addressed before the patients go home, not afterwards. And there's just not enough time. The other thing that's really important and that we don't do in our country is provide unlimited postpartum care. If you look mm. at the, the Scandinavian countries, they have a maternal mortality rate of two or three per 100,000. And in our country, we have the average is 20 to 24. If you look at Native Americans or Native Alaskans, it's 40 per 100,000. And if you look at people of color, non-Hispanic, they have a 55. So we have a tremendous disparity in uh, how we treat our patients and how whether they're really ready to go home or not. And this is the kind of information we love to hear about because it brings awareness. And that's what we're, we're all about. We know that uh, things have to be done. We know that actions have to be taken, but first awareness needs to be put into place. And another thing you talk about in some of your articles, and you do thank you so much, bring dads and other family members into the situation, but dads, uh, you talk about competition for attention at home. Yes, this is a very uh, rocky situation and it can go south in a hurry. It usually involves men who are dependent on their wives. And so they see the baby as competition rather than somebody that they should love and take care of. And I've always said, if I can get my dads to come to the prenatal course, that's two-thirds of what I need to do to make this, make sure this family does well when they go home. That is great advice, and I hope a lot of people are taking that into consideration because we understand that moms need a lot when they have done that great miracle of bringing a life into the world. And I think sometimes we think that we're doing a lot for them, but like you said, getting prepared beforehand, and especially dads, and some dads fall into that role very well. They're so natural with it, but we get the questions and the concerns from moms in our group, and they just feel alone, or they feel like um, they're being, they're not being a good mom because they're not doing enough, and they're not seeing that that sharing go on, like you say, that uh, thing that makes two-thirds of your goal accomplished, which is having the dads be more more involved. So we're calling out to you, Dad, and everyone who's around that mom that time uh, in the past, way, way back in the past when it did not only take a village, but the village was there for the mom, that time is not the way it is in our communities. Many times it's just not like that, so calling on you, Dad. And Dr. Allen, when you talk about 
maternal health and maternal mortality. And we know that out of your 6,000 births, you had zero mortality rates. That is one of the reasons why we just feel so grateful to speak to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about that mental health and maternal mortality? Well, yes, there's a lot of ways to look at uh, maternal mortality. Uh, you have suicide, which is common in, uh, more common in uh, Caucasian or white women, and homicide is more common in women of color. So these are all things that should be preventable according to the CDC. And unfortunately, these things, are, they're batched together, the suicide, homicide, and overdose. They're batched together, and they now are the biggest majority of mother's death postpartum. We do have an opportunity there. One of the things that I did with my patients is to offer them unlimited postpartum visits. So they could come in, call me. I remember one night, I was. this is when we had beepers years ago. I was out <laughs> rollers with my son, and uh, there was this lady, very intelligent. She was a lawyer, second baby. She was calling me every 15 minutes, so I had to stop roller skating and pick up the phone. Anyway, we got her the care she needed. And usually what I did, I like I said, I made sure that my moms and dads were ready to go home and that they could come in whenever they needed to or call whenever they needed to. But if they fell through that, fell through the cracks there, and they did get depressed and they did come in to the office and they were concerned, I could call a psychiatrist who I knew and talk to her right away, get the right medication, get the patient on that medication. Usually postpartum would have been effector because that gives them motivation. In other words, you can't just sit home and watch TV all day long. You have to actually, you have tasks to do like you talked about. And then they mm -hmm. would see the psychiatrist or the psychologist a week later. So we had a fairly seamless delivery system. And today, it's complicated to see a counselor because in the first place, insurance companies are uh, they don't like to pay for counseling. That's one problem. But the other problem, it can take months to get in to see a counselor. So, you know, you have to have, have to be able to bridge that gap. And you do it by unlimited visits to the obstetrician. Now, in, in, in one of your articles, I saw that you had written about turf wars between psychologists and obstetricians. And I don't think that, I think I, I definitely understood what you were writing, but I don't think a lot of uh, people really know about that, and they don't even think about it, of course, if they're not in their perinatal or postpartum period, and when they are, that's not something they even want to think about. So can you talk a little bit about the turf wars between psychologists and obstetricians? Well, yes. Uh, you know, there are, unfortunately, a lot of rabbit holes or beehives that patients can get step into, and they don't even know they're stepping into them. I mean, how would you, how would the average consumer guess? But what happens is, you know, obstetricians are uh, trained to check your blood pressure, uh, measure baby's heart rate, the height of the uterus. Sometimes they do a cervix check, get a weight, sometimes a hemoglobin. And in a nod uh, for mental health, they'll throw out an Edinburgh depression uh, scale. Now, if you talk mm -hmm. to women who have taken the test, they would much rather have an obstetrician or somebody they can talk to. 
But the way things are today, obstetricians are not supposed to do mental health, and that's because they would run a run afoul of the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrists are not supposed to do obstetrics because they'd run afoul of the obstetricians. So there's a little bit of a problem there, and that's why the program that I had, that is, I could pick up the telephone and talk to the psychiatrist that day about that patient. And so we took the rabbit hole or the turf war out of it. And it is possible to do that if you have people who are motivated to do it. Right. Now, another one of the things you help moms do kind of goes into what you were just talking about and her stepping into something she's not even sure she's stepping into it. But after she's listened to you and um, maybe visited some of your resources, she's become more aware that she's her own best advocate. What are some of the questions she should be asking or some of the observances she should let her uh, obstetrician and and if she gets um, and I'm, we're hoping that if she needs it, she gets to that therapist or that psychiatrist. But what are some of the questions or concerns she should bring up with them? Well, you're right about the, the first thing very very uh, much, and that is one of the reasons we're doing our websites and our books and the radio shows and podcasts is that. Moms and dads are going to have to do this for themselves. They're going to have to learn how to uh, navigate the system that is full of seams and is not really designed to function smoothly for anybody. That's why we're having this rising maternal health problem. So once they get in to see uh, an obstetrician, they can talk to them about, you know, what do you deal, how do you deal with uh, mental health issues? And the obstetrician is probably going to look at your patient like she has three heads. <laughs> but <laughs> given, you know, once they get past that, uh, they can actually seek a counselor themselves. Now, the, one of the big surprises, and I read this in a CDC article, 82% of patients who suicide have either been in psychiatric or some kind of mental health care in the last year, or they are presently in the system. So even once our patients get there, they're still not guaranteed that the problems are going to resolve. So they do need a very good relationship with a very good counselor, and sometimes it's just going to have to be something they get, or perhaps they could ask for their obstetrician to make an appointment that wouldn't be, you know, I mean, that would be compatible with what obstetricians could do. Mm, absolutely. Now, you know, uh, we've talked, you and I have talked offline, and some of the information you have given me, has I've just passed it on to uh, people in my group, so they're already kind of like falling in love with you, and one of the big uh, topics that we talk about. As a matter of fact, we started a series about the benefits um, of journaling. And I bring that in because we were just talking about moms being their own best advocates and dads helping them to be their own best advocates. And they have to be. They have to learn, preferably when they're starting to think about planning a family. But I think history has shown us that 
a family can get started sometimes. We didn't have a big plan in place, but one thing's for sure, when a mom is pregnant, when she's expecting a baby, we know that an outcome is going to occur, whether it's in her uh, arms or in while the baby's in her tummy, or unfortunately, if she, you know, doesn't, she's not able to carry her baby full term and she just has it in her heart forever. We know that she's going to be a mom once she's diagnosed with pregnancy. And so we started our series on the benefits of journaling in an effort to help moms become better advocates. And you gave me some wonderful thoughts about journaling, but as an expert, and we've had experts, uh, well, we've had experts on as podcast speakers, but never anyone with your experience to talk about the importance of uh, prenatal and postpartum journaling. So can you talk about that a little bit for us and the benefits? Yes, I would be happy to do that, uh, Paulette. Thank you. Uh, you know, journaling is really a form of meditation. And if you look at uh, highly su successful people, they almost all do some kind of meditation. So there's much that the average person can learn by journaling. We know that it can decrease uh, depression. We know that it can decrease anxiety. And it can uh, overall increase good uh, mood. Uh, so, you know, I certainly can't say journal instead of finding a psychologist or a psychiatrist or seeking, seeking medical care, but thing you can do before you get to that point, and you can also do it once you get to that point. In other words, there's nothing wrong with journaling and seeing a counselor all at the same time. If you want to share your journal with your counselor or your obstetrician, I would c condense it into like five points so you don't, especially if you do more than five points, they're going to overwhelm your obstetrician, and it'll work probably against you rather than for you. The other thing about journaling that's really important is gratitude. In other words, look each day for things that you can be thankful for, an excellent way to increase your self-esteem and your happiness. Wow. I read what you said about being journaling, helping you be healthy and giving you a holistic view of yourself and just and 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 bringing the gratitude in and it all really we believe that it works we've, we've seen it work we're just so happy to hear you say it um a person with your experience and all the births that you've had all the mom's lives that you've touched it just means so much to us because we know that it's not the only thing. We know that it's a toolbox that a mom has to have, uh, bring her through this. And it is an exciting time of life. You know, I'm a mom, and, um, of course, I and all of my children are grown now, but I still remember every, you know, uh, many of the, the times how exciting it is. And I tell all the moms, no matter what's going on, these moments, you're going to look back on them as some of the most exciting times in your life, even if you have some down days. But getting back to journaling, when she's thinking about journaling, she's probably thinking about, I can't sleep, I can't eat, 
I can't get enough rest. How am I going to find time to journal? <laughs> what can you tell her about that? Well, you're absolutely right. There's uh, certainly, if you want to um, think of putting things in the way, you can. But you don't have to journal for an hour a day. You could journal for five <laughs> minutes, minutes or 15 minutes, you know. So time really shouldn't need to be a problem. And again, journaling is good for you, and you're going to most likely feel better if you do journal. The other thing you can do with journaling is to read it. And again, that's an that's another way to benefit is to read your own journal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, I there's so many topics that uh I've gone on to your site and I've read articles uh that you've written. I'm going to say we can have a series just just the the Rule Doc series. Just Rule Doc Allen. <laughs> And so I'm going to right now just invite you back because our time coming to an end. I'm going to invite you back right now. And if you will, probably many times, but before I come to an end, I want you to tell the audience, just tell us a little bit more about your upcoming book and your website, PregnancyYourWay.com. Well, as you have already indicated, the reason we're doing all of this is to fill the gap. In other words, there's a whole lot of people who, at this point in time, feel disconnected from their um, providers, from the healthcare system, and they have a right to feel that way. And the other thing I brought up a couple of days ago, that, you know, if you look at happy and you look at suicide, there's a whole bunch of space in there. This isn't black and white. It's not either or. So it's a space between happy and and homicide or suicide that we need to be in. And that's that's our audience, and I think it's what you're talking about. That's your audience, too. Uh, one thing I'd like to see is the return of the three-day stay for patients who have vaginal birth. And I'd also like to see unlimited care and free care for every pregnant woman up to one year afterwards, after delivery. So we're going to be pushing for those things. Well, I'm personally going to invite uh, everyone who's listening now or who may come in and listen uh, in the future. I'm, I'm personally inviting them to look at your site, look at some of the wonderful resources you have there. It's beautiful. It's informative. And it does bring about a lot of awareness. There's something new, no matter how much a person might think they know. There's something there, I'm sure, that's going to be special, that's going to capture their attention. So I'm going to invite you back, and I'm inviting the audience to go out and check out PregnancyYourWay.com. Okay? So, and, and any final words that you'd like to tell us, please? Well, yes, thank you so much. I Like I said, I do appreciate your uh, seeing us, having us on your podcast. When I say we, my wife is sitting across from me at the table here, so we do everything together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's the space in between. It's the helping moms to navigate a system that is not very friendly, um, consumer friendly anymore. So until we can get a system that works better, uh, I'm thinking that our book and our website is the next best thing. Okay, then. Well, 
Thank you so much. And Faza fans, I want to thank you too for joining us. And we ask that you connect with us on FazaInc.org for additional information. We're going to keep you up to date. You know we're geared to provide supportive resources to families affected by postpartum depression, maternal suicide, and supporting the children who are left behind. And I want you to remember that the FASA Scholarship for Awareness of Maternal Suicide is still open. The applications and guidelines are on our website at fatherinc.org, open uh, for uh, another short while. So if you know a student who has lost a parent due to maternal suicide related to postpartum depression, please let them know about the scholarship. And thanks again for tuning in. This is Paulette Smith signing off in loving memory of Christina LaShawn Thompson Adams.